in Thank number you. 19, Thank you. 10, Thank you. United States versus Zhang. Uh, Ms. Shapiro. Thank you, Your Honors. Good morning, and may it please the court. Uh, this is Alexandra Shapiro on behalf of Appellant Dan Zong. To shore up the lack of any victim testimony in its case against Mr. Zong, the government resorted to multiple forms of improper and unfairly prejudicial evidence, which dominated the proof and deprived Mr. Zong of a fair trial. I'd like to focus on two in particular. First, the testimony of three alleged victim workers and one of their wives who eight to nine years before the charged conduct experienced violence and threats of violence by others at Relin. And second, the testimony of a forced labor prosecutor and former senior diplomat who described supposedly typical and effective features of forced labor schemes told the jury that Chinese construction businesses operating abroad were hotbeds of forced labor and expounded on irrelevant inflammatory subjects, including slavery and sharecropping in the United States and the Chinese government's human rights abuses, uh, including as minority. The improper- Can, can, I, can I ask whether you, you participated in the trial? I ought to know that. Uh, no, I did not, Your Honor. Thank you. Thanks. Go ahead. The improper admission of this evidence individually and cumulatively warrants reversal. First, with respect to the uncharged crimes evidence, it's important to emphasize that this evidence was admitted on the false premise that these witnesses would testify to Mr. Zong's personal involvement in the horrifying events they described that occurred nearly 10 years before the charged conduct. Uh, in connection with the motion practice, the government represented that these witnesses would testify uh, to the defendant's efforts to force the victims to return to real in custody. The government told the district court that one victim, Kevin Liu, would testify that the defendant located him at a boarding house in Queens and that the defendant persuaded him not to contact the police and warned him he would lose his security deposit and that Relin would seize his mother's houses in China if he did not return to custody. And there are numerous other representations along these lines uh, in the record, which are summarized in footnote three of our brief and appendix 84. The district court admitted the uncharged crimes over the defendant's objection specifically based on these representations. Uh, the district court noted that defendant's actions, including the alleged kidnapping and abduction of victim laborers, justified it. The district court cited the government's intention of proving uh, that um, the defendant's coercive techniques and practices of the Chinese, China Rillin worker were the same as those he used as president of U.S. Rillin during the charge conspiracy, and perhaps most importantly found that the probative value of defendant's conduct uh, including the kidnapping and abduction of victim laborers as a China Rillin employee is not outweighed by the danger of unfair prejudice. And that's all at uh, Appendix 99 to 100. Um, the evidence uh, that these witnesses provided, which really dominated the trial, was of a completely different order uh, from the dry uh, evidence based on the alleged economic coercion uh, as to the charged case. Um, as, as to the charges in the case. And, uh, and then 
the government, and just to highlight a couple of points, I mean, this, this was- Does it matter that, does it matter that Zhang uh, was taking over the same business that committed the other acts in 2001 to 2002? I mean, uh, isn't it part of the story of his conduct to say that the company had, had done this before? And so uh, those practices informed the expectations of its employees and so on. Why isn't that, why isn't that relevant? Well, Your Honor, it, it, the reason it's not relevant in this particular case is that we're talking about evidence from eight years earlier. Um, we're talking about evidence of uh, acts of just a completely different order of, of magnitude. You know, the jury is being told about events that involved, you know, scooping people up off the streets of flushing into a van, um, uh, threatening people to break their legs. Uh, slashing them with a tool and introducing pictures of a foreign scar um, a worker experienced, and all of this. I mean, I, I understand that you'll dispute you'll dispute that there was such evidence, but I suppose you might acknowledge that if it could be shown that even eight years after the fact, Mr. Zhang had said to workers, "Remember what we did to people eight years ago," uh, and so you should stay in line. Then it would become that it would become relevant. And so your argument depends on the absence of such evidence, right? Well, I would say, I would say the following, Your Honor. There, there is no such evidence. And indeed, um, I want to point to court, um, and we mentioned this briefly in the reply brief, but I think it's critical to, to emphasize that despite the fact that in this appellate brief, the government no less than three times asserts that there was evidence uh, that my client was involved in efforts to abduct Kang Kai, that in fact the, the appendix citations it points to uh, show no such thing. And um, I, I think that it's critical that the evidence was eight years earlier. There's no evidence in the record whatsoever as to what, if any, role Mr. Zhang played in the company uh, in the early 2000s other than that uh, people had a vague sense that he was a manager. Um, and so... Uh, and and in the, I would also point out that in, you know, other cases, um, such as the Curley case, um, the court has excluded uh, some evidence uh, similar to, to this type of thing. But it's, it, it, the problem here is uh, not only that the evidence, there wasn't a sufficient link to admit the evidence, um, but also, and perhaps most importantly, the unfair prejudice that uh, Mr. Zong suffered by the fact that this evidence dominated the trial and the government highlighted it from the very first words of its opening all throughout uh, the trial and then the beginning of its summation. It was a theme in the summation, the opening summation, the rebuttal. Um, and then, you, uh, if, if I may, I'd like to turn to the expert testimony um, because I think that, if anything, only compounded the prejudice. Um, and the unfairness of this trial. Um, this expert, uh, who uh, uh, was a, uh, a had, had very fancy credentials as a forced labor prosecutor and high-ranking government official, his testimony was inadmissible under Rule 702, and uh, as well as 403. And this court has emphasized that 403 plays plays a unique role in uh, the district court's gatekeeping function when it comes to expert testimony. And here we had the government repeatedly eliciting this expert's views on so-called typical features of forced labor 
effective features. Um, his argument mirrored the argument the government was presenting to the jury in a similar fashion to what happened in Cruz and Castillo, the two cases we cite in our brief in which this court reversed uh, convictions in which uh, the trial was tainted by similar expert testimony. Um, in addition, you know, Mr. DeBaca went on at length about uh, using the mantra of the U.S. government and its uh, its ranking of China as a tier three country with a huge problem of forced labor. Uh, he, he emphasized uh, both the Chinese uh, abuses, but also that this claim that this kind of forced labor was typical in the construction industry in China and particularly abroad. Um, you know, we, we've, allowed, um, we've allowed expert testimony to describe, you know, um, uh, organized crime operations or sex trafficking rings or that kind of thing. Um, are you arguing that uh, forced labor operation is just qualitatively different or that just this expert went over the line and, uh, and crossed the line from, from what would be a proper subject of expert testimony? We are focused on the record in this case and the particular testimony given by this expert. Um, with respect to you know, uh, the organized crime example, I think this is very different. The type of testimony this court has uh, has permitted in such cases are testimony about, you know, sort of things like the lingo that uh, organized crime members use and the hierarchy and structure of an organized crime organization. You know, that wasn't the testimony here. If, if this expert was not limited, in fact, he didn't actually have any expertise on China whatsoever to speak of. And um, and he, he wasn't uh, talking about uh, anything along similar. What, what, a, what about the expert? What about the expert testimony about the contract? Is there? Do you, in your view, is there a categorical rule that he shouldn't be talking about specific items in evidence, or that that testimony about the contract again just crossed the line? Well, Your Honor, I, I'd say two things. Number one, um, I think the point is that that testimony crossed the line. We're not talking about testimony that simply uh, tried to explain uh, the terms, um, terms that, that, that would have been inaccessible to a lay, but rather the use of opinions and adjectives like, you know, calling things red flags, saying they were troubling, uh, that sort of thing. But I think the more important point is that um, even if this court were to conclude that a couple of pieces of his testimony could have been admitted if the testimony had been limited to those pieces. We're talking about the overall inflammatory, highly prejudicial impact. And I would urge the court, it's very difficult in a brief uh, with quotes here and there to capture the fully the flavor of this testimony, but I would urge the panel to actually read the expert's testimony because when you read it in totality, what you see is the government asking these open-ended questions and the expert making long speeches where he veers, as I said, you know, into these topics that are outrageously inflammatory and completely irrelevant, including, yeah. you know, okay. it is can, can, I, can I ask you about a, another issue you didn't bring up, just I'd like to get a brief comment on it. So if you had been able to pursue the character testimony about Ken Wang's reputation for truthfulness, would it, how much would it have added to what you already were able to do to impeach him? Um, well, I think that 
that that was important. And then what was perhaps even more important was that we weren't allowed to impeach Ken Wang based on the judicial finding from a year earlier that uh, that he he was not a credible witness. Um, well, was that really a judicial finding that he wasn't a credible witness? I mean, as I read the transcript from that proceeding, the judge just seems to be saying that she found his colleague to be more credible and describing his character than he himself was. That doesn't that doesn't mean he's not a credible witness exactly, does it? It, it does, Your Honor. It wasn't about his character. There was a dispute about whether certain incidents occurred that um, that related to his temper, I guess, which was relevant for the proceeding, which was about a gun permit. But the uh, the New Jersey so, 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 so what it was about his character because it was about his temper. But you're saying since the basis of it was whether certain incidents happened, it was relevant to truthfulness. Well, well, the point is that he, he was right. And, and, and the judge said, um, basically it was that he said, she said, and the judge said he believed uh, the, the other witness. And indeed, Judge Donnelly herself described the, the opinion that way. She said that the New Jersey judge didn't believe um, Wang. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, you've reserved uh, time for rebuttal, so we will hear from you. Um, again, but let's turn to uh, counsel for the FLE, uh, Mr. Solomon. Uh, good morning, Your Honors. Uh, this is Alex Solomon. May it please the court. At trial, uh, the government adduced considerable evidence, both direct and indirect, connecting Dan Jong to the pre-indictment to the pre-indictment conducted issue. Uh, this evidence established an overarching and continuous scheme to compel labor through the th- threat of force and serious harm. Conspirators used contracts with coercive terms from beginning uh, back in 2000 through the indictment period, as well as the threats of force and intimidation to ensure that workers would continue to work against their will. And at bottom, a jury could reasonably conclude that the additional pre-indictment evidence was part of a larger scheme that spanned into the charging period, and that at all times, both pre-indictment and during the indictment period, the defendant, Dan Jong, was a leader of this conspiracy. I think if we look at specifics, I would start with uh, the comments that I think uh, Your Honors uh, noted upon, which was uh, Dan Jong's statement to PRC visiting dignitaries that Ryland makes an example of escapees who are recaptured, so others will think twice before escaping. This comment was made in or around 2008 or 2009, shortly before the start of the uh, indictment period. And the person who was made an example uh, based on this description was Sheng Lu from 2001 or 2002. Further, the renditions were uh, coordinated and directed by people who reported directly to Dan Zhang, both Wenlong Dong and Ma Dong Sheng. For example, uh, there was a document found in Ma Dongsheng's office in a building that Dan Zhang also used. Uh, this is the 210 Pavonia building. And these documents tracked all escapees from 2001 into 2010. So documents about Sheng Lu and documents about Kai Kang were all there. But those people did not report to Dan Zhang when, when it happened. Dan Zhang was not in charge in 2001 to 2002, right? And you haven't charged a conspiracy uh, you haven't charged him for conduct occurring in 2001 and 2002. 
Sure. I guess a couple of things, Your Honor. One is we couldn't charge him for 2001, 2002 because he was an accredited diplomat until uh, end of 2009. Secondly, I think the evidence we introduced showed that at the time he was in charge of Ryland's U.S. Uh, operations, even though he did not become formally in charge of Ryland, U.S. Ryland until 2010. He was in so charge? the first thing so I would that argue to the jury that he was in charge of Ryland's operations in 2001 to 2002. Yes, it was. Um, and so, for example, okay. if you look at the transcript on page 1648, uh, uh, this is from Dan Zhang's own uh, alien file. Uh, in a submission to the U.S. government, he claims that he was in charge of U.S. operations of Ryland as of December 2000. Additionally, we introduced evidence showing that he had control of uh, the Ryland uh, finances before the indictment period. Uh, and that if you look at the signature cards uh, for, and this is grand, uh, this is uh, in government's exhibit 516, the signature cards for access to the bank accounts, the corporate bank accounts, some of these appear to grant control over company accounts as early as 2000. Uh, lastly, I would, I would point your honors to- This is less than you had promised uh, the district judge when you were introducing this evidence, right? Didn't you say that you were going to say that Zhang was personally involved in a lot of these acts such as kidnapping and in fact that Zhang himself had beaten up one of the workers and it turned out when that person testified that it was not Zhang but his brother that had beaten him up? That was the, that was the, uh, uh, the largest discrepancy, Your Honor, between what we promised and what we delivered. Uh, the witness had... Okay, so uh, you, you uh, promised that he was actually going to be you promised that he was actually going to be personally involved in the kidnappings and the beatings, uh, but instead what you delivered was what, that he had access to the finances and a management role at the time of the kidnappings and the beatings. Is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, I guess one slight correction, Your Honor. We did not promise that he personally partook in the beatings. Uh, we just indicated that uh, he, he actually, yeah, he, not, not necessarily kidnappings, that he went and visited uh, an escapee. This is Chuan Yang Sheng, who had escaped to a motel in Flushing. He personally visited him and said that, um, you know, this is, this is according to the witness statement before trial, uh, that you better return to work or you know what the consequences will be. And I mean, you, have, trial, you have to acknowledge uh, that the, the, evidence, the evidence about what happened in 2001 to 2002 about kidnappings and use of weapons and imprisonment of workers and these threats is a lot different than the conduct that you showed during the indictment period, which is really about uh, 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 employment contracts that are harsh and holding people's passports and crowded residences and so on. I mean, it is a different and different, it is conduct of a different character, right? I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that, Your Honor. Um, uh, the first I would point, Your Honor, to the attempted abduction of Kai Kong. Um, if, if you look at the transcript uh, on page 436, Wen Long Dong, uh, who, was Kai, uh, uh, who was Dan Zhang's direct report, and engineers uh, talked about efforts to locate Kai Kong. And then uh, on, the, on the transcript on pages 431, 432, uh, the defendant, Dan Zhang, asked uh, Ken Wang, uh, if he knew where Kai Kong was. And this is all evidence that the same thing was going on that happened back in 2001, 2002. When a worker escapes, they make efforts to find him. And just because 
the efforts were unsuccessful in 2010. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm asking somebody a question about where somebody is is a lot different from establishing that there was a, an abduction and a, a beating and a bad holiday, right? Sure, but if you look at the transcript on page 436, Wen Long Dong and engineers are talking about efforts to locate him. And, uh, you know, okay. I, I don't think it would have been a logical leap for the jury to conclude that had they located Kai Kong, they would have forcibly uh, returned him back to Ryland custody. Um, and I think there was some other, you know, there, there were, were other uh, specific pieces of evidence that were quite inflammatory during the indictment period. Uh, for example, there's the fact that uh, Ryland kept workers in uh, unsafe conditions, used double cylinder locks uh, that would, you know, the, a jury could have concluded they were used to prevent escape of workers from these housing facilities. Uh, there was uh, there were many evident, uh, many instances of work uh, as both as personal servants of Dan Jong and his family. Uh, they were used to build a Manhattan high rise uh, that was uh, going to have a penthouse for personal use by Dan Jong's uh, uncle. This is all uh, during the were, indictment period. This is all during the indictment period. Yeah. There were brutally long hours. We introduced timesheets showing that these people never had a day off uh, for years at a time. Uh, and there was an incident, and Judge Donnelly specific cited, specifically cited this as an incident that she would never forget, the testimony uh, of a worker falling down a flight of stairs from exhaustion. And then, you know, I think the most uh, incendiary piece of evidence in the entire trial was during the indictment period, and that was the extortionate contract for Kai Kong that his wife explained how he and his wife were photographed in, in front of a large stack of cash, uh, more money than they can ever possibly hope to make. And they were told that if Kai Kong tried to escape, uh, that uh, they would owe that amount of money to Ryland. And in fact, when he did escape, there were efforts made to uh, enter a, a judgment against okay, Kai Kong's so if, if you have that evidence during the, during the indictment period, then why did you need to introduce evidence about 2001 to 2002, which is eight years before the indictment period? What's, what's the relevance of it? The reason is it's part of one continuous scheme. So when you have Dan Jong, uh, you know, ordering the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, withdrawn. So when you have the escape of Kai Kong in 2010, uh, and, and then you have the discovery of the documents tracking the various victims, you understand this is all part of a continuous scheme. So when you see Dan Jong in 2012 receiving in an email uh, a, a version of one of these contracts with extortionate terms, uh, and you see similar contracts used back in 2001, 2002, at a time when he was in charge of the company, you understand this is a continuous scheme. And, um, you know, that's, that's the reason why we entered it. Okay, cool. can you address maybe the, the expert testimony as well? So, I mean, there was testimony that was introduced about China scooping up mentally and physically challenged people, begging in railway stations, uh, taking them out to brick kilns and other dirty jobs, and then re-education labor camps for Uyghur Muslims. I mean, how is that relevant to establishing what Jean did during the indictment period? Uh, yes, Your Honor. I, I think the focus of uh, Ambassador DeBacca's testimony was to establish how this particular typology of forced labor scheme worked in the context of a relationship between uh, a, a large multinational company uh, and the PRC government. So uh, when you're explaining to the jury that uh, when Ryland uh, contracts that it cannot uh, uh, guarantee the personal safety of any of these um, employees should they attempt to escape from the PRC government, what, what exactly that means. And certainly the focus of 
Ambassador Dudaka's testimony was not to suggest that the PRC government uh, is is uh, an evil regime, and you know just because Rylan is uh, a Chinese company, that therefore Rylan has committed uh, you know forced labor practices. Uh, I think uh, Ambassador Dudaka was incredibly careful not to testify as to the final issue here, and. Uh, I think what well, Mr. Would, Shapiro would, has... Would you, not, would, you not come, would you not come away with the testimony about re-education through labor camps for Uyghur Muslims thinking that there was, that the regime was engaging in bad conduct? Sure. So but a, company associated, I, a company associated with the regime maybe was guilty by association? Sure. I, I would respectfully submit that that was more of a stray comment. Certainly, if you look at the totality of the, the testimony, the focus was really on uh, the typologies of forced labor practices, uh, and specifically, uh, you know, how those, you know, what the interplay would be between uh, the PRC government uh, and uh, PRC construction companies uh, operating abroad. Uh, and, and the relevance of the connection to the PRC government is that uh, the workers couldn't be protected from the government, and so they'd be subject to that penalty, and that's why it's relevant. Is that, that's what you said? Sure, among other reasons, absolutely. And what about commenting on the contract? So when the expert says it raises red flags for him, is that not making a conclusion that the jury should make? I, I think that's more of a semantics issue. He, I think he only said red flags one time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was pointing to specific contractual clauses that while, you know, on a superficial reading may not appear, may, may appear relatively innocuous upon a closer reading in the context of the relationship between this company and the PRC government are actually more menacing and nefarious and, and how the workers would have understood those terms. And this is a reason why this testimony at bottom was beyond the ken of the average juror. And I guess I ask you about the question I asked uh, opposing counsel, which is, um, do you defend the district court's decision to sustain the hearsay objection when they were trying to probe Ken Wang's truthfulness? Unless the testimony about his truthfulness. Sure. Was that right? Yeah. Uh, I think at bottom, the testimony was, was cumulative, or the testimony sought by the defense would have been cumulative. Um, uh, what Ken Wang testified to during his direct examination was the fact that he was essentially working two jobs at once. And this testimony was corroborated by um, other witnesses, uh, uh, including defense witnesses who worked under him at U.S. Ryland. Uh, and, you know, he indicated that this was, you know, fu a fundamentally dishonest uh, act that he, he did in not telling Ryland that he was working for another company at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, to the extent that these other witnesses who, who testified that he was not present in the job, uh, and by the way, uh, Ken Wang was also cross-examined about this dishonest act uh, at length by a defense counsel. Uh, to the extent the defense uh, sought to introduce you know, <coughs> reputation evidence, uh, it would have been um, relatively cumulative. It would just been these these witnesses who, uh, or these employees of U.S. Ryland who didn't see their boss there testifying that he has a reputation for dishonesty because he's not, you know, he says he's going to be one place and he's some someplace else. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. If there are no other questions from my no, thank you. colleagues, no, thank you. I'll say thank you, Mr. Solomon, and we'll hear from Ms. Shapiro on rebuttal. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Just just a few quick points. Um, taking that last point uh, by my opponent first, with respect to uh, Ms. Ken Wong, I mean, the critical testimony that we needed to impeach was 
this one tiny snippet um, in which he claimed that Mr. Zhang had told uh, this high-level delegation uh, that that there were these re repercussions for escaped workers. Now, uh, it was critical to be able to impeach him because uh, the, with with that other evidence, and indeed, um, this uh, and one thing. Well, let, let me just say this. Um, uh, he had never said that before. Um, Wang was a, an, an FBI informant for six years and prepared detailed uh, reports for the FBI, multiple detailed reports, and he had never included this alleged statement in his reports. And at government, that's at Government Appendix 424 to 425. Um, I, now, just switching gears, the government, I believe, told your honors... <laughs> Can I ask, so, that, so, so Wang, you're saying, you know, his testimony was important because it connected Zhang to the, to the acts in 2001 to 2002, but what about everything the government says about actually Zhang was in a management role in 2001 and 2002, and so he oversaw a lot of those acts, and it's all part of an ongoing conspiracy, and so actually uh, that one snippet of testimony is not as important as you're suggesting. Well, well, let me say two things. First of all, I don't mean to suggest that I endorse the government's interpretation of the testimony because the, the bigger point in fact, um, is that if you read the testimony, and it's just one paragraph on Appendix 435, there's no evidence of when this conversation occurred. There's no evidence of what worker it related to. None of that. It's incredibly vague. So it doesn't even on its face actually tie Mr. Zhang to the earlier period. With respect to the claim that Mr. Jones important role in the early 2000s, there's really nothing to back that up. Um, the, the, in fact, the, the, the workers who testified as to the awful events in the early 2000s, two out of the three of them identified Mr. Zong and they knew who he was and not, they not, uh, implicate him in the event, but they hadn't only generalized sense of what he did. They, they didn't say he was the ultimate boss or anything like that. So I think the record doesn't bear it out. And we're talking about, uh, about very old evidence um, that was just of a different order. Um, it, uh, if I could just make um, two other quick points. Uh, I, I also just did want to <coughs> emphasize um, with respect to the Kai Kong incident, just very specifically, as I mentioned earlier, the government three times in its brief told this court that the defendant was involved in efforts to, quote, abduct Kai Kong. And they point to two pieces of testimony. In one of them, Mr. Ray Tan is asked, can you tell me about your conversation with the defendant about Kai Kong's escape? This is on A215. And he says, so it's roughly like this. He asked me if I knew Kai Kong had escaped. I said, I know that. He asked me whether there's any likelihood I would know where he is. I said, I don't know. That's it. And then there's one other on A219, the same witness. Um, is, to your knowledge, was anyone in China Relin looking for Kai Kong? And he says, answer, Landon Wang. How do you know that? Answer, well, if somebody were to look for him, that would be something that Landon Wang was responsible for because he was the project manager. That's it. So there's no connection to the defendant with respect to, nor is there even any evidence that anyone was actually trying to abduct Kai Kong. Um, the last thing uh, as to the expert, 
I just want to highlight, um, without repeating what I said earlier, but this, uh, th these workers were not Uyghurs, they were not disabled people, there was absolutely no reason to get into that. And again, if the court really reviews the entirety of the testimony, you will see that it's dominated by uh, this type of improper testimony, as well as um, things like red flags and troubling when it comes to the contract penalty clauses. Um, and lastly, I did want to mention as to the expert, uh, that these expert even veers into subjects such as indicating that he believes that people who engaged in forced labor schemes take a pleasure by having this kind of control over other people. Um, all of this is incredibly improper, highly inflammatory, and the government in its summation went back uh, time and again back to Mr. DeBaca. Um, the last thing I just want to say is if and I hope this is not the case, if for any reason your honors are inclined to affirm, I do want to emphasize that we believe that the district court committed procedural error, and I wanted to highlight in particular the error as to the vulnerable victim enhancement, uh, which is supposed to be about uh, targeting victims, and the district court relied uh, primarily on its finding that the conduct made them vulnerable and also failed to make uh, individualized findings. Um, if the okay. court has I think we have that argument. We have that argument in the briefs. Uh, thank yes. you very much, uh, Ms. Shapiro. Uh, thank the you. case uh, is, is submitted. And because that is the last case on the calendar for today, we are adjourned. Thank you.